God wants us to learn to receive blessings and give them to others. This talk is about seeking, receiving, and giving the blessing of the Father. All blessings trace back to the heart of God. Just as we sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. In Genesis, the first words that God spoke were words of blessing. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And when God created us, just as when he created Adam and Eve, he looked at us. God looked at all he had made and saw it was very good. And he blessed us. What was in God's heart when he spoke that first blessing? It was a heart filled with delight and pleasure at his creation. Joy filled the heart of God as he looked upon us the day we were each created. The word blessing literally means a good word. A blessing is a good word that finds its source in the heart of God. As we know from the earlier keys, words have power. So receiving the blessing from the heart of God has a power to change and transform us. In scripture, the Hebrew word for blessing, shalom, relates to speaking. It is speaking well about someone, speaking to impart power to someone. So when we speak a blessing, we speak God's hearts and his thoughts into another person's heart. This is the treasure we seek. Our hearts are searching for the treasure of God's words, God's thoughts about us. And even more, we've now been given the ability to speak words of encouragement and revelation from the heart of God that have the power to change the lives of others. God's plan is that the church and the family would be a constant source of speaking God's blessing over people. Everyone needs to be blessed. We all need to hear the whisper of the Father and receive what is in his heart for us. But the reality is that no matter how good one's human father is, because he's human, he's sinful, he cannot perfectly and completely reveal the heavenly Father's unconditional love. We should reflect on how God the Father broke in with words of blessing during the life of his son, Jesus. Again, the companion guide lists all the scripture passages for these moments. The words of blessing spoken at Jesus' conception while he was in the womb. Words of blessing at his birth and presentation, at his baptism and transfiguration. God spoke blessing over his son at all the major points in his life. Indeed, Neil Lozano has an imaginative children's book you can read, how Mary and Joseph would repeat to the child Jesus the stories of his birth, telling him about how God had a special plan for his life. But the scripture passage I would like to reflect on today is the gospel story of the prodigal son, a parable in which Jesus reveals to us the heart of the father, I invite you to spend time meditating on this story in Luke 15, which reveals to us what is God like, what's on his heart. 
Neil Lozano also has a book, Abba's Heart, Finding Our Way Back to the Father's Delight, which is a reflection on this parable. We're all familiar with the parable of the prodigal son, actually the parable of the father and his two sons. The younger son, in demanding his inheritance, is basically saying to his dad, you're dead to me. And he goes off and squanders the money on wine, women, and song. And when the money runs out, in desperation, he becomes a hired hand, serving slop to pigs. Starving, he realizes that even his father's servants have enough to eat. So he heads home, hoping his father will accept him as a servant. But while still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. The father embraces him back, not as a servant, but as a full beloved son. The older faithful son becomes envious, even though he too is invited to the banquet. Now the typical interpretation is to find ourselves in this story as the two sons represent all of us. One son is sinful and runs away from his father. He is lost and hungry, destitute and alone. The other son remains and he looks good on the outside, but inside he's full of bitterness, resentment, anger, judgment, self-pity. Yet ultimately this parable is not just about examining ourselves, but revealing the father's heart filled with compassion See how the father relates with his son. And Jesus wants you to know the father's love for you. Notice the father's generosity. He allows his younger son to take his inheritance to squander it. The father's love is vulnerable. Even when his son takes advantage of his love, he's not filled with anger or wounded pride. On the contrary, you might say in his heart, there's sadness a loss, and a desire to be reunited with his son, a longing. When his son returns, there's no lecture, no punishment, only a heart full of mercy, ready to forgive and restore and celebrate. The first four keys of Unbound all lead to the fifth key, the Father's blessing to receive our identity as children of God. Who am I in his sight? Do I recall that I'm a unique, unrepeatable gift? Do I know I'm not just an accident or happenstance? Do I believe God has a plan for every person he creates, that he has a plan for me, that I am a gift to the world? Think of the father in the parable who awaits the return of his son. He scans the horizon for him. He runs to embrace him. He restores his place in the family. He celebrates like there's no tomorrow. The father is eternally running towards his lost children. Be honest in prayer. What is your relationship with the father like? How do I identify or picture God? Is he close or distant? And what is your own identity? Am I beloved in his sight? The truth is we have a father who never abandoned us. He was always there speaking to us, even though we could not 
or would not listen to him. This, this was brought home to me meditating on another parable, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. You may recall this story about three servants. The first received five talents and made five more. The second received two talents, made two more. Then the servant who had one talent buried it in the ground. Why? Out of fear. Because this servant viewed his master as a demanding person. I already shared how this used to match my own view of God as someone very hard to please and how this shaped my view of him more as a judge waiting to condemn or a master over a slave. Jesus wants us to see the error that third servant made, how we may fail to have a relationship with our father because we're blocking those gifts he so generously wants to give usually blocking it with our own fear or shame. But I was meditating on this parable. I wondered why one servant gets five and another two and the third one one. And I'm not a biblical scholar, but even I know they're not typical biblical numbers like seven or 12. So I moved on without knowing why until I saw the next verse, which I'm sure was always there, but somehow I'd missed. He gave to each according to his ability. It's not the amount that matters. It's the fact that the master knew exactly how much to give each servant. And thus the truth and consolation. God knows me so well. He gives me exactly what I need. No more and no less. I spent the rest of my time in prayer with that passage, pondering, applying this truth. Realizing I have no reason to be jealous. So other priests seem to have talents that I don't. Because God gives me exactly what he wants me to have. I can't grumble or complain about my physical handicap. Because God knows exactly what is best. This truth could apply to prayer. God doesn't give me a new insight or healing every time I pray. With every scripture passage but he does give it exactly when and in the amount I need to remind me of the truth. He knows me. He loves me. He gives me what is best. The devil's original lie, which began in the Garden of Eden, is the exact same lie he tries to get us to believe in every generation. God is not a good father. He can't be trusted. To use a football analogy, it's like the enemy runs the exact same trick play every single down. And yet we still fall for it. (laughs) But not anymore. Now we know his game plan. Now I'm ready. And as soon as I recognize that lie of the enemy, I reject it and say, no, that's not true. I am a beloved child. I know the father's love for me. One last small breakthrough in my own story. I once had someone ask if they could pray for my legs for the healing of my cerebral palsy. And I brushed it off saying, well, I was born that way. As if God couldn't cure the man born blind. But that was just an excuse because what I was really thinking, God wouldn't do that for me. 
I don't deserve to be healed. Having gone through unbound and having my faith stretched, I believe God does want to heal, even physically, not just spiritually, much more than I previously thought. If only I would stop limiting him. Whether he will heal me, I don't know. But I've now had that humility and ability to ask people to pray for my legs and to get better at noticing and rejecting that lie when it comes. I am worthy of God's blessing as his son. And he does have the power to heal me. So in the fifth key, the Father's blessing, we receive blessing from the Father, and know he was speaking blessing at all the major moments in our lives. Even if we didn't hear it or receive it at the time, it's never too late to receive it now, because God's word is eternal and remains. And the blessing that Jesus received from his Father belongs to us. We are in Christ and identify with him. God has been whispering and speaking to you about who you are, perhaps even on this weekend. And he wants you to be free and take hold and enter into his blessing. Recall the words of blessing the Father spoke at Jesus' baptism, coming out of the water. This is my beloved Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. This is Evangelization 101. There are two truths revealed in that statement we need to know and share. God loves you. God has a plan for your life. Yet immediately after this, when Jesus goes into the desert, he's tempted by the devil, who comes and attack, attacks right at the heart of Jesus' identity and relationship with the Father, saying, if you are the Son of God, if you acknowledge me as your Father, Jesus responds by depending upon the word of his father, the blessing of his father that he had received. He declares that his father is the only one worthy of worship. Jesus passed the test by believing those words the father spoke over him at the Jordan River. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The evil one attempts to rob us of this truth, just as he did with Jesus. He presents the lie of rejection to us, attacking our identity and life's purpose. Neil Lozano notes a second time in the Gospels when Jesus was tempted, when his life's purpose was attacked. And this time the temptation comes from an unlikely source, the one recorded in today's Gospel. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and tells his closest companion how he is going to suffer and die. And Peter says, God forbid that should happen to you. Peter rebuked the Lord, speaking the very temptation of Satan. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't die. Don't fulfill your purpose. But Jesus turns and rebukes Peter, get behind me, Satan, because he knows exactly where this lie comes from. 
The enemy tries to rob us of both truths, our identity and our mission. But Jesus comes to restore the Father's blessing so we can come home to the Father. And Jesus gives us an example, exactly how to deal with some te- such temptations. He immediately rejects it. He doesn't say, let's sit down and discuss this, Peter. <laughs> he doesn't draw up a list of pros and cons. He knew where this was coming from, and he rebuked it. Get away from me. He wouldn't entertain it. When we hear the lies, the attacks of the enemy, we need to rebuke it right away and say, I will not fellowship with you. I will not listen to those lies about my life. I will not allow them to dwell in my thoughts. Those of you who are parents have the incredibly difficult task of correcting your children when they do something wrong, yet at the same time honoring their identity because it can easily get mixed up. That when we're being corrected by our parents, we experience rejection. If we're not surrounded by blessing as children, all that other stuff falls away. If we don't know the blessing and we're not firm in our identity, we can grow up thinking that every time someone corrects me, they're rejecting me. See how life without the Father's blessing leaves us vulnerable to the enemy's attack? If we're not blessed, we won't know the truth of who I am and that I have what it takes to fulfill God's purpose in my life. If our identity and destiny is not valued and affirmed, we basically have two choices, as described in the parable of the two sons. One is to try harder, to try to earn it. If I can't be accepted, at least I can be right. I fall into extremes of reliance on myself, being focused on the rules and self-righteousness. This, of course, is the older brother. Too many don't know they're loved by God, and they're just trying harder and harder to earn it. The second choice is to give up, to think it's hopeless, what the prodigal son did. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be worthy of my father. I'll never be as good as my older brother. I always fail. We accept despair, self-condemnation, worthlessness. And too often that can lead us to turn to alcohol, drugs, pornography, anything to escape and forget. And then Neil makes an important point. Our own blessing by God is incomplete until we also give it to others. God wants us to learn to bless others, especially parents who help their children know their identity, to know that they belong, to truly touch them, sometimes with hugs, also by spoken words. Parents can especially bless their children through the child's name, help them to know they are highly valued, they belong, they have a future, that God knows them by name, that they are in his heart. Remembering stories and celebrating special days is another type of blessing. The church blesses children at baptism, confirmation, first holy communion. And we celebrate these in other moments with words, stories, and scriptures that speak to our identity, purpose, and destiny. 
For some, it's unfortunately been generations in their family that fathers and mothers have lost that sense of blessing and failed to pass it on to their children. Some children were unwanted. Others lost their parents. Some experienced divorce, alcoholism, violence, or abuse. But now we know that's just the small story. That's not the bigger story of life in the Son of God. Our parents are not to blame because we're responsible for our own lives. And no no matter what our history and past, God can take that stuff and make something really beautiful out of it. Romans 8.38, we know all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That's why I repeat, it's never too late for God to speak and provide the blessing that you may have missed in childhood. And by taking up our freedom in Christ, we learn to bless others. We have power given to us by Jesus who won the victory on the cross and now shares it with us. So we know we can take our stand against the schemes of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the devil's works so we can hear the whisper of the Father, know our true identity, be confident in the purpose he has for each of us. Like the prodigal son, when we come back to the house of the father, we get back everything that was taken or stolen from us. We're no longer just living that small story trapped in lives, but living the larger story of salvation, the story of the love of the father and the son and the Holy Spirit. This is the eternal story. And redemption means we're breaking out of the small story that has defined us and instead now being defined and identified as a member of God's family, as one who belongs, as one who shares in the eternal destiny Jesus has provided for us before the Father. To bring these thoughts to conclusion, I want to read from a letter written by Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Letters like this one, another reason why she is a canonized saint, she says, Jesus wants me to tell you again how much love he has for each one of you beyond all you can imagine. I worry some of you still have not really met Jesus one-to-one, you and Jesus alone. We may spend time in chapel, but have you seen with the eyes of your soul how he looks at you with love? Do you really know the living Jesus, not from books, but from being with him in your heart? Have you heard the loving words he speaks to you? Ask for the grace. He is longing to give it. Never give up this daily intimate contact with Jesus as the real living person, not just the idea. How can we last even one day without hearing Jesus say, I love you? Impossible. Our soul needs that as much as the body needs to breathe the air. If not, prayer is dead. Meditation is only thinking. Jesus wants you each to hear him speaking in the silence of your heart. Be careful of all that can block that personal contact with the living Jesus. The devil may try to use the hurts of life and sometimes your own mistakes to make you feel it is impossible that Jesus really loves you, is really clinging to you. This is a danger for all of us. 
and so sad because it's completely opposite of what Jesus is really wanting, waiting to tell you. Not only that he loves you, but even more, he longs for you. He misses you when you don't come close. He thirsts for you. He loves you always, even when you don't feel worthy, when not accepted by others, even by yourself sometimes. He is the one who always accepts you. My children, you don't have to be different for Jesus to love you. Only believe you are precious to him. Bring all your suffering to his seat. Only open your heart to be loved by him as you are. He will do the rest. Today, may we hear the voice of the Father speak to us. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. In you, I take great delight. In you, I am well pleased. And may we hear Jesus speak those words in our heart. I bless you. I love you. You are precious to me. To Jesus Christ be all honor and glory forever. Amen.